look at like where we are in the adoption curve, you know, we're still in the like innovator section. Like we're probably not the only adopter piece. And like, what kind of people does that bring? It brings people who have a very high risk tolerance, who are not afraid to lose, who are wanting to craft and write the future and like fundamentally are adventurers. And if you go into any project's office and hang out with the team, you'll just realize why adventure is the perfect definition. Um, you know, our team are completely wild, so full of life, so charismatic and, and focused on, you know, um, living life to the best, whether they're surfing or climbing or, you know, whatever that does, you know, to, to kind of really grow themselves as a human. But on the other side, so focused and dedicated to building what we're trying to do here together. And, and I think we're so lucky to be able to build in an environment where that is the de facto state, that adventure, that sense of, of creation and, and growth. Calm down before you stress up the groove. The energy a little different when the blessings accrue. Hey, who you talking to? Just know I ain't no regular fool. Could be anything in the world, but I can never be you because I had time like a what is going on, T-Phrasers? Welcome back to another episode. If it's your first time on the channel, it's your boy Mo. On this channel, I simply go ahead and interview some of the coolest and dopest people in Web3. Now, uh, this episode is honestly really great and made me bullish on the actual founders and the project they talked about, which is Overlord or Creeps by Overlord. Overlord being the umbrella company, Creeps being the Genesis collection and NFT collection that they dropped last year in 2022. And that project at the time it dropped was one of the biggest ones so it's really interesting and mind-opening to see how that project has evolved uh, and what it's going to be growing into throughout this year so we sit down with both founders joe and dom really dope guys really uh, vetted experienced and well-spoken people and you'll get to see that throughout this episode and you'll hear them talk about their journey you'll hear them talk about their experience you'll hear them talking about what they plan to accomplish in the next 10 years uh, and things to look forward specifically this year about their project and as a whole in the Web3 space. It was a really fascinating conversation that I hope you enjoy. Before we dive into that, make sure you smash that subscribe button if you haven't already. Yes, I'm pretty much begging you for it. It doesn't cost you anything and it means the world to me. So go ahead and do that. And then if you're looking for more ways to stay updated and educated about crypto, then I encourage you to check out our free daily newsletter. We send it out every single weekday. It's less than five minutes a day and it's value packed with information, like I said, to keep you updated and educated about everything going on in Web3. So without any further ado, let's dive right into it. Overlord Nation, shout out to you, Creeps Nation. Let's go ahead and watch this. Another special episode, we have Joe and Dom. You've probably heard of them before if you know anything about NFTs. The project's called Creeps. It's by Overload, and I'm going to let them do the talking here because that's what the show is about. So, boys, welcome on to the uh, Seed Phrase podcast. How are we doing today? Good. How are you doing? Yeah, great. Thanks for having us, Matt. Doing great. Oh. I'm uh, honestly pretty excited about this. As you guys know, we did a thread on Twitter quite a while ago, and it just went absolutely bonkers from the community engagement that you guys have. And then from there, we were kind of able to connect and have you guys on the podcast. So I'm really excited not only for your community, but for ours as well to really hear about you guys. And I'm going to be very honest. I knew about Creeps and I've obviously heard and seen the hype in the middle of the bull run. But I did not know how much work, progress and quality there is behind this ecosystem until I was started preparing for this podcast. And I'm like, holy fuck. <laughs> so my first question here is, how was the idea born and how did this happen? 
Yeah, you know, the, the idea was born probably about 18 months ago, right? Joe and I were trading NFTs like any other DGen um, and really getting behind it. Um, we're both we're both like secretly nerds, like we're product people. We love tech. You know, that's what we've built for the past 10 years. Um, and we wanted to build on blockchain. We actually didn't know whether we wanted to build an NFT brand or like a infrastructure play or like build a chain. Um, we just knew we wanted to build on blockchain. We started building an NFT project because we kind of knew the space a little bit. Um, and we thought it was an easy entry into like learning how to build the tech stack and, and you know, work with smart contracts and things. Um, you know, we hired like a writer and a uh, designer and we kind of, you know, created this like totally crazy world, which I thought was really fun and funny um, as kind of a side gig just to learn. And then, you know, the snowball started rolling and rolling, you know, people popped into Discord, Twitter followers started joining and they started liking the the style and the, you know, I think because we didn't give a shit at the time, you know, we, we just kind of like, we were quite brash about stuff. You know, when you join Discord, you have those security messages. We took the lyrics from like a quite a rude song and like just put a smack that there. And people just love that nature. Um, and I guess after a while that like infectious energy caught us and we were like, okay, I guess we're going all in on this. Um, and, you know, 13 months ago, I guess we did the mint um, and it's been going on since there. You know, our, our thesis has changed over time. We first set out by, you know, making a bunch of cool art um, that's gamified on chain. And I think over time we realized by asking the question, like, what is an NFT? Why should you own a bit of IP in the long term? And realize that really that should build out into a much bigger entertainment brand. Like, you know, if Disney had launched with Mickey Mouse and, and Daffy Duck or whatever on chain and the community owned it and they started building out games and, and you know, merchandising and TV shows. And, you know, you kind of have this like co-ownership with the communities you grow. It's like a new new way of, of building entertainment. And that's kind of over the past 30 months, we've been head down building that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I think, you know, like you, like you mentioned in the intro, you know, you heard about us in the bull run, you know, we've been pretty quiet since then because we've just been building, you know, silently in the background. But, um, you know, we're here, we're here to talk about it now. And, you know, I guess it's our first podcast. So we're happy to be here. Hell yeah. Joe, anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, I, you know, looking back 13 months ago, our, you know, Dom and I, Dom and I as, as you mentioned, like we, we were intending to learn about the space by building. You know, that's naturally how we are inclined. You know, it's, it's let's jump two foot in, let's figure it out as we go and almost kind of build the plane as we're flying it. And it's an incredible journey to be able to go through because, you know, in Web3, you're learning with your community and you're building these products in a really iterative manner, you know, instead of being like, okay, I'm going to build something for three months in a waterfall style and then come out to market and be like, oh, look, this is the product we like. I hope you like it. We built you, I hope you like it. In Web3, you, you're building it as you're going. So there was a, you know, I don't think we truly understood the, um, the shift we were making moving from a Web2 to Web3 context until we started building. And it became infectious because, you know, if you're naturally inclined to feed off people's feedback you know if you're naturally a curious person and you're like you know if you put something out in the world and someone's like oh I, this this is how you can improve it or this is how i would make it better if you're naturally the kind of person that cares about that and wants to dig deeper you will naturally find yourself in these in these cycles and you're, you're kind of the the feedback loops drive the growth loops drives the feedback loops and you know we started this as a weekend project to understand the space we were both running other companies i was i was building 
infrastructure for cap companies going public, so running IPOs in a very regulated finance space, wow. you know, completely the opposite to the unregulated, um, you know, crypto and, and NFT crypto. world. Wild West. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I just finished running the Soho House IPO uh, for the the whole group of like a cross transactional um, cross uh, Atlantic transaction, and I remember Dom called me up and said, "You do realize that in a couple of weeks' time, you're going to have to quit all of this, and we're going to have to go full time on this because the the traction was becoming um, almost unstoppable. You know, we were naturally finding ourselves on e evenings and weekends, bleeding into daytimes, bleeding into night times." And that traction and momentum of learning and building with the community became so infectious that we had this moment of shit, we're going to have to finish all of this stuff. This is too exciting. We're getting too much momentum and traction that we need to go all in on that. And we went all in, you know, arguably probably one of the, uh, like earlier than we would, would have probably naturally liked to because of that Web3 momentum and, and feedback. So you know, we were a thousand people in the Discord when we jumped all in, quit our jobs and decided that this was the space for us and we had to come and build this product. So yeah, really exciting to, to be here still a year later and to, to have such amazing like opportunities to continue building. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. And I'm sure we've all heard the saying of like 90% of businesses fail within the first year. So that the fact that you guys are beyond the first year and you're thriving and you have, I think you told me like earlier, 30 people, right? Uh, working total is very interesting and fascinating to hear. Now, I want to take one step back, right? Because both of you guys mentioned like, hey, this started off as a weekend project. We had no expectations. We just wanted to get involved in the space. So how do you go from a weekend project and like, hey, we're just going to fucking do an NFT to like, we're running a multi-million company with 30 people, right? So what was that? What was that change like? And like, as soon as you guys went all in, what happened? Then what? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great question. And the answer, you know, is not a defined time. It just like bleeds, you know, over time. You know, I think um, I think the size of the project from a business perspective is a bit of a sleeping giant. You know, um, we don't just have the one collection. We've got like six, seven collections out um, that all have their use cases at different times. You know, across that, we've had $175 million worth of volume, which, you know, puts wow. us up as one of the, you know, top, 10 projects in terms of, of volume aggregated. Um, that happened all, you know, I guess the the, the speed at which we were growing happened so quickly. Um, you know, in, in the beginning days, we used to take uh, phone calls, like business meetings from a toilet because <laughs> we'd put the laptop on the dryer <laughs> and we'd talk about it because we were working out of a so house and it's too noisy to take calls and they don't let you. So we're in the toilet and it hit a moment where like, you know, the, the bank account had a couple million in it already. You know, we had thousands of people talking about us. We were building this product. To, we were like, we, we, need to, we need to legitimize this. We need to, you know, hire a bunch of people to take on operational roles, development roles. You know, we need to double down on this. Um, that was a very painful couple of months because we were like trying to play catch up, you know, with the momentum of the community and building it while at the same time trying to like reverse build the company. Usually you build the company first and then, the product, you know, the product would launch and then we had trying to build the company on the back of it. Um, you know, we've got a we've got a team of 30. They're all incredible, talented people split across, you know, various different, um, you know, expertise, whether it's game development or, you know, design or 3D modeling or, you know, growth. Um, and, you know, the challenges just change over time. 
You know, I think in, in, in the first beginning days, you, you really care about, you know, how can we make a smart contract that's not going to fail? Um, or how can we make traits that look cool? And as you scale up, you know, the problems get bigger, but you have more people that can help you out. And um, uh, it's, it's, been a, it's been a journey, but um, definitely hasn't been like defined moments where things switched up. Let me ask you guys this. How did you guys meet? That's a very interesting question. That's a great question. Um, you know what? It, it sounds really romantic um, to, to be building a startup with your best friend. But genuinely, you know, we spent 10 years together as like almost like the tightest friends following the similar path, building in similar industries. And it was almost this bizarre moment when we started this and we looked at each other and we we're like, why the hell have we not built before together? Like, this is, this is crazy. And, you know, I guess, you know, we met, what, we're 18, 19, um, so probably oh, 11, sorry. 12 years ago. Yeah, 12 years ago. A long ago. time ago. And we, we were introduced because neither of us went to university. We, we decided to both tackle the world at 18, build businesses. And we were, I guess, singled out by our friendship groups as the kind of two kids that wanted to change the world at 18 and put together. And they were like, you guys need to go off and do whatever you need to do to build rockets or change the world in whatever way. And that's how we met. And, you know, I guess when you, when you've known someone for so long and you've almost kind of been each other's confidant and, you know, validator, you, you have such a like inherent level of trust for that person, which means, you know, especially in the NFT space where it's, you know, not, not only are you building something together for the first time or you're building a company um, from the, ground up you're also in an industry which is so nascent and unknown that the challenges are not known challenges it's not like starting a tech company in web 2 where you're almost like here's my zero to a billion dollar idea and journey here's the challenges we're going to face and here's the people we need it's almost like we're building something that is new in an industry that's totally new as well so having that trust inherent trust for someone from the get-go is fundamentally so important because there are so many challenging moments that you go through that having someone you can rely on and you don't have to think twice for is, um, is a massive superpower. And I, you know, I very grateful and, um, you know, to be able to say that and to be able to have this, cause it's, it's definitely a competitive edge and it's fun. Yeah. This is definitely the first time for me hearing that, that founders are actually friends because everything we've heard of so far is like, hey, we've met on Discord, we decided to launch a project, the project blew up, and now we're just friends, right? I've even interviewed founders where like, they've never even met in real life, which is crazy to see, wow. and they've just been running projects like virtually. Yeah, so hearing you guys have the opposite, it actually does make sense because, you know, you can see the congruency in terms of the branding, the aesthetic, the tonality, the voice, and the vision of this project, right? And how it's kind of come along. Now, I know a big part of it is the partnerships that you guys have right now, and you probably are going to continue establishing some of these partnerships. So walk me through the end goal of where you guys see creeps, and then let's kind of reverse engineer back in terms of like, what do we have coming up in terms of the vision and the roadmap that you guys are really excited about going into this year? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's in 10 years time, you know, we want to be uh, the one of the biggest entertainment brands out there. You know, we, we've really tried to follow the blueprint that Pokemon has built under. Um, and I don't mean like the game type or the story. I mean, like structurally how they work, 
you know, they have games at the core mm. of their business. They think they've got 160 games now over the 30, 30 years they've been developing. And they've got these like IP verticals that grow and support it and take people down the funnel at different points. You know, they've got an animated show, it's a massive hit. They've got merchandising, digital experiences, you know, they've got in real life, you know, Disneyland meets, you know, lots of crazy stuff. And, you know, we think building that, build, building entertainment brands in Web3 is, is a new model. And not only does it give you new business models, it's it's new way of actually building content. You know, you're co-creating with the people who consume it, which is very rare and very different from the you know, traditional entertainment world, which is, you know, it's very feelings based, you know, building a tech company is sort of about data entertainment typically is how do we get a bunch of fun, creative people in the room? We try and create something that's funny. We chuck it to the wall and see what sticks, um, but, you know, building with your community, um, you know, gets you closer to, you know, IP product market fit faster and more accurately. Um, but also gives you great leverage um, for growth marketing. You know, if you if you watch an, an you know a show on TV or you play a game, you love it. You put some hours into it. You might mention it to a friend if a topic of TV shows comes up. The difference here is when you co-own that game or TV show or that brand by owning a bit of the IP in it. Um, you know, every lunch you have, every dinner you have you're gonna tell your friends about it. Um, you know, because you, you know, when you own something, you feel proud of it. You wanna tell everyone about it. So, um, you know, 10 years, that's what we wanna be. Um, you know, winding that back 10 years, you know, we're one year in. In first year, we've established, you know, the beginning sentiments of the IP. We've started, you know, solidifying what the universe looks like from a narrative perspective. Um, you know, we've realized that DNA as a company, as a brand, we brought in domain experts to build out the initial use cases of these verticals. Um, and, you know, moving forward, you know, this, ne this next year is about, you know, rolling them out into the public for the first time, you know, getting the games in people's hands, so they can play and immerse themselves in it, getting that show live on Netflix so people can watch it and laugh at it, you know, and enjoy those worlds. Um, and then just keep growing from there. Joe? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question because I think a lot of brands in this space are struggling to answer it, yeah. which is where does IP scale? Why does Web3 IP have a competitive advantage over Web2 IP? And, you know, I don't know how many other project founders have had experience building IP before. You know, we haven't, um, which is why we have amazing partners, but the whole process is very, very challenging. It's a, you know, an IP, there's a saying, which is IP is a deep pocket business, because as Dom said, it's very much hit and miss. You have a massive portfolio strategy. You know, you're creating something in a back room, you're chucking it a wall, you're seeing what works and you're, you know, almost kind of being reckless to the point that you're, you're designing for that 1% to work and 99% to throw away. And it's a really challenging business to get right because a lot of it's market timing and a lot of it's like, you know, the perfect recipe. Now we, we certainly are on that path. You know, we have the, we have the, I guess the core ingredients now, whether it's the, the validated IP from the creeps ecosystem and now broader overlord or the partners like stupid buddy and Seth green, who understands that journey of IP creation and storytelling and world building. We also have a, an amazing new writer who's been leading some of the, uh, writing some of the biggest shows in, in, um, on TV that, you know, and, um, and the right partners like, um, 
WME and 360 who are actually now, you know, the biggest entertainment agents and management in the world, you know, having them on our side to be able to do the end-to-end -end journey gives us that competitive advantage and ultimately the recipe to be able to make this happen or at least give it a shot. Now, you know, in five, 10 years time, there's no reason that this couldn't be one of the biggest IPs in the world. There's no reason we couldn't have a theme park. There's no reason we couldn't have a whole range of consumables in every major store, you know, toys in Macy's and, you know, products in every, sh in every, you know, major Walmarts in the U S as well as, uh, you know, a whole broad, broad range of, of media in, in, um, in every spectrum, whether it's short or long form, you know, this, this is not just a pipe dream. This is something we we're building towards. So, you know, where do we go in five years? You know, the ambition is Disney. The ambition is Marvel. How do we get there is obviously a lot more challenging than I'd like to um, admit, but we do have the, the components and the, re you know, the ingredients to make that recipe. So it's going to be a really, really exciting five to 12, um, six to 12 months, because you'll start to see us put, roll out a whole bunch of things, which will show to the broader market how we're thinking about making this happen. You know, how do you as an IP holder who, you know, you say you buy a creeps, how does that creeps give you access to a co-creation experience where you can co-create media, which can then be used in a show for someone like Netflix or Amazon? You know, that is a really significant change in the way IP is created. And it means that you fundamentally have an ability to shape the future of television and IP and media by owning a single NFT. And I think, you know, there's a lot of things like this, which we're working on which will enable and supercharge our process and our, our roadmap to getting to where we want to be in five years, to getting to the theme park, to getting to the top shows, to getting to the hero games. And um, it's an exciting space to do this in because, you know, if you get it right, 5,000 people win, not just 30. Yeah. And, um, and that's, that's a real driver to, to, to continue to want to do this. So um, yeah, it's, a, it's an awesome question. Where do we go? I don't think many brands know. I think you see a lot of people shooting as like, oh, we're definitely heading here or we're definitely, this is definitely the future. But um, the reality is a lot of these big industries, gaming and media, they're really difficult to penetrate. Like they are, they are run by huge companies with very deep pockets and experienced processes. Unless you have the ingredients from the get-go, you're just not going to make it there. And, uh, you know, it sounds mean and it sounds like tough, but it's the truth. Like you can't just suddenly create a piece of IP and be like, this is going to be a top TV show because it won't, you know, the likelihood is 99% of other projects that tried also thought that, but you know, we have a very strong components to be able to do that. And we're getting very good traction to get there as well. So it's a, it's a very exciting moment. And I think we have a competitive advantage because, you know, we, we're, you know, very well along the path, but um, you know, and we certainly have the team to be able to, to continue to push that. So yeah, very fun. There's so much to unpack there. Uh, but one of the first things that comes to mind is like, so for you guys as a company and as leaders, you have a vision, right? In terms of like, here's what we're going to do. And here's in, in a perfect ideal world. Here's where we end up. I think a big thing about Web3 and the reason why a lot of people aren't bought in on NFT specifically is because the holders don't have a vision yet on where they fit into that blueprint. Meaning if there's 5,000 or 10,000 board ape holders or creeps holders or whatever the project is, right? 
besides the money aspect and besides the opportunity of me being able to flip my NFT, how do I fit in to the broader picture? Like, do I own Mickey Mouse? Does that mean I'm going to get paid forever, right? Do I own Daffy Duck? Like, where where does the community fit into this? And how are you guys kind of approaching that methodology of like, here's what we need to do in order to make sure that the community is also part of this vision beyond just owning an NFT? Yeah, it's a fundamental question that, you know, needs to be answered and something we've done a lot of work on. You know, the, the sort of internal thesis we have is, can people buy the house but collect rent? Um, you know, could they own a bit of IP but never have to sell it because they're earning value in other ways? Um, you know, when we're building out overlord as a big entertainment brand, and let's say in ten years' time, you know, it is has got a you know top show and top games and whatever. Um, we want it to be a decentralized brand, and what is a decentralized brand? Is the value accrues to a token? Um, you know, it's what you know venture capital firms are investing in, and it's what you know value accrual models is what they index on whether they should be buying into the equity or buying into the into the token and so we've been doing that now because we're fundraising now with vc firms it's like okay you take the games and you take the shows and you take the merchandising and how do you accrue the value of that to a foundation um which increases the price of the token over time um and you know what we're what we're planning on do i guess on one angle is you know, giving NFT holders or allowing them to vest and unlock more of this token over time in the same way that we would as a team or VCs would after they invest mm. so they can sell it. And over time, as they vest it and unlock it as an NFT holder, that, you know, in theory, that token's gone up slowly because the value of the brand has accrued to the token. You know, the token is essentially, you know, a tokenized business. It's, it's you know, it's equity essentially, but on chain. Um, and that's how we plan on, you know, bringing the community on the ride, you know, really bringing them in as, you know, a regulatory sound legal way of them being co-owners. Um, and there's a whole bunch of secondary stuff you can do as well, right? You know, with every new game, every new show, there's new characters or new game assets that, you know, are minted and sold, you know, you airdrop them the exclusive rights to the best ones. So they get, you know, perks in that basis. Um, but I guess those are the two sort of main ways in which we're we're looking at um, uh, and bringing them value. Um, you know, I guess uh, on top of the you know fundamental core value, which is you know treating these things like Pokemon cards. You know, Pokemon Guru is a brand. Shiny Charizard is now really valuable. Um, so I guess there's three pillars of value that are created over time. Yeah, exactly what Dom was saying here. You know, I think the days of you know, indirect value accruing to an NFT or over, you know, we've seen this promise for so long, which is, hey guys, trust me, when our brand's big, your, your NFT is going to be worth something. Like, okay, cool. There's maybe 1% of brands where that works, where actually, you know, enough mainstream thinks this brand is really cool that they come and get on chain and open a wallet and, you know, buy some ETH and make their way to OpenSea and then finally buy your NFT. Like that's a frictionful journey, which typically like is reserved to, to people who are here early to maxis, you know, that doesn't like that's, there's too much risk in that, right? It's, you can't be absolute with your, um, like guarantee there when it comes to how does value come back to the NFT holder. So really to what Don was saying here is let's ignore indirect. Let's ignore the, the like the, the, 
the single chance that you know enough people come and find the NFT and decide that they want to, to buy it. Let's let's focus purely on direct value accrual. Direct value accrual is something which you know you can only do through tokenization. So by having a you know, a single currency, which can be in trouble across different contexts, whether that's games or, you know, co-creation models or referral loops with content that you create or assets you create in game, you know, all of these things across an ecosystem, which fundamentally drive the, the like value of the ecosystem over time need to accrue to a single point of single metric. And if you as a project, if your team, if your investors and your community are focused on that single point of value, you can drive incredible amounts of growth. And we're really, really trying to innovate here around direct holder value as opposed to indirect holder value. Because we know we can drive indirect. We know there's an opportunity here to have a t top TV show. And, you know, I'm hoping that that, you know, that creeps you hold when it's a, been viewed 10 billion times on Netflix you know, suddenly becomes valuable because it's, it's rare or it's, you know, the genesis of that IP, but throughout that journey, because that's a, you know, there's risk involved in that. And it takes a long time throughout that journey. We need to make sure that you have guaranteed return of, of investment and that's direct. So, you know, you are as a creeps holder, you know, you get the coin, you're an investor, you're a co-owner in the brand with us. So you should benefit from that journey with us. And that's really how we think about this. So, you know, we will we'll be releasing a lot more on the token structure. We'll be releasing a lot more on you know how do you as a as a holder of the NFT participate in the ecosystem to to earn that whether that's through co-creation whether that's just by holding the asset and, and receiving it. But it's direct holder value, which is fundamentally the shift where we believe is going to be the difference in what makes a good brand and a great brand in, in 2023 and beyond. I, I love that. And it leads me to this next question I had uh, as you were talking about growth is like, so how do you guys as founders judge the growth, right? Because understanding that everything you're doing now is only like 1%, 1%, 1%, right? It's not really shaking the floor maybe or the price or the community the way you want to shake it. So besides looking at the value of the current asset, how are you guys judging your growth and how do you recommend other community members or holders that are coming in judge you guys as what you're doing in terms of like, okay, is this project moving forward or not? And why isn't the price changing, which is something everybody wants to know? Yeah, it's, it's something we've been grappling with recently over the past sort of few months. Um, you know, it's very easy as a founder to stare at that floor price and get obsessed with it. And don't get me wrong, you should be obsessed with it because if, if floor price goes down, your community is going to get the pitchforks out and try and, you know, burn your house down, right? But you know, there's a whole bunch of other metrics that can show growth over time. You know, the, these assets are on chain and they give a tremendous amount of data. Um, you know, retention numbers, new user growth numbers, um, you know, how much influx from, from certain projects you're getting into your project. Um, you've got the whole engagement metrics on, you know, Discord and Twitter, all that kind of good stuff. Um, so I guess that's the sort of surface level measurable things. And then you've got the product verticals again built. Um, and, you know, I guess that's the whole internal measuring is, you know, you set goals and milestones and key results that you're trying to hit every quarter. You know, are you hitting them? Are you developing at a rate that you want to be, to be building at? Um, and, you know, I guess what's exciting is we're all in a horse race here. Um, you know, NFT projects at this kind of scale are new. 
um, you know, there's going to be one show that's the first to get on a major streaming show. There's going to be one game that becomes a major mainstream hit. It's going to be one, you know, bit of merchandising that becomes, you know, major, you know, hit across stores. Um, and it, there's all these projects racing against each other to, to be that number one. Um, so, you know, we've got to keep really tight timelines and really like you know, focus on building fast and building well. Um, because you know, if you get one of those first stories, you know, you you hit you hit big time. You know, not just you as a company, but you know, you as holders as well. Yeah, my my view on growth. I mean, it's really difficult in the space, as Don was saying. You know, you have your vanity metrics in a lot yeah. of ways. Your, your Discord growth, your Twitter growth. You know, let's not double click on that because we'll often see how many of them are not real. But you know, <laughs> let's call them vanity metrics. You definitely have your sales metrics, where like how you know how much volume you're getting, and you know, floor price and you know, the things I guess that change the um, sentiment of the community. Um, then, you know, from from my side, and I guess how I look at like brand growth and ecosystem growth is, and it, it's a little bit more of a visceral um, feeling and, and, and connection to brands. You know, if you look at a certain brand, does that brand do a good enough job of taking you into this, their universe of um, connecting you with the stories, connecting you with the characters that they're, they are launching and making you feel something. And once you feel something, can they retain that feeling of trust, of you know, adoration, of identity in their universe? And then what do they do with that? And I think there's a couple of brands in the space. You know, Zuki is a great example of that. Um, you know, Yuga is actually doing really good work with this at the moment, where they're allowing you to connect with the characters on a really deep level in their universe. And that connection provides a really interesting opportunity to take you on journeys, whether it's, you know, in other side or whether it's on, you know, Azuki's equivalent. And that's exactly how we think about growth here in the Overlord ecosystem, which is we really want to build a space and a universe where, you know, anyone can become a character in our worlds and we can build, you can build digital identity. You can become a version of, you know, a creeps, lizard or an interdimensional lizard or other characters that we're having and you can play the role of that character in our universe and the growth element comes from okay now we understand that now we have a connection between us and our, our community what where do we go with that and, and how do we take you through a journey where you're discovering not only about the brand but about yourself in this space you're meeting people you're making connections and i think when you look at like what we're actually doing here from a um creation perspective and what would we, we be doing if we weren't doing this? It's entertainment, it's interactive entertainment. Yeah. And it's another form of media, you know, in the same way you have the identity in games or identity in a TV show. We are replicating that, that here. And I think if a brand truly understands how to do that and grow the in ecosystem and growing you, um, that's a brand I want to connect with. And, you know, it's something that we as a team obsess over a lot. And it's a lot of what we're going to roll out from a product perspective over the next six to 12 months, because it has an amazing way to um, really like create something magical um, between you and your community. So, you know, there's, there's definitely all the like metric stuff and the more sales driven things. But I think on a brand and ecosystem level, if you actually reduce it down to what we're trying to do here, we're trying to tell stories, we're trying to build universes and worlds, and we actually want people to be a player part in that role. And play a part in that universe and i think if you can do that well um you, you definitely have an ability to, to win here because you create an army of of actors of characters 
And once they are in place and once they are acting and, and being, you know, characters in your universe, you're, you're pretty much unstoppable. Yeah, I, I love that answer. And I think you guys are doing a really well job because, again, in preparation of this podcast, I'm just going through the website, right? I'm going through the experiences that you guys built. I'm going through the teasers, the animations, and I'm like, okay, these guys really understand how to cultivate an audience and keep you here, right? Because every single, I guess, snippet or aspect of the ecosystem that you come into, you're like, oh, what does this do? Okay, let me check this out, right? So that aspect is there. Now, going into gaming specifically, right? Because when you look at this, you're like interactive media, which is ultimately gamification. Right. And we all know everybody wants to come into the crypto space because of the gaming and its future capabilities of what it can revolutionize for the space. So I guess my question here is, what is going to be the unique advantage that you guys are going to bring to compete with companies that already have billions of dollars, right, that have already been gaming for so long? What is going to make creeps really stand out? And what are these advantages that you guys have in mind? Yeah, great question. You know, first and foremost, by building on chain to start with, you have a competitive advantage. It's very hard to take a game that's already pre-built and you know bring things on chain. Um, you know, audiences will revolt. <laughs> you know, as some you know big studios have, have found out. Um, but moreover, you know, the way you build the game, the interfaces, the economies are very different. Um, so that's, I guess, on a on a very base level. Um, but then if you look into how you can create compounding value and growth over time of an ecosystem, you realize you can grow that much faster and, um, you know, uh, build kind of network effects between certain titles. So we're not just building one game, you know, we're building a headline game, which is a, a bunch of the, the clips you've been seeing on, on Twitter. But we've also got other studios who've been signed on to create games within the Overlord universe. You know, those are all going to be interconnected in some sort of way, they can be multi-platform. So some people, you know, build a mobile game, someone build a console game, someone build a PC game. Certain bits will be interoperable, you know, whether it's metadata or characters, there's also be composable bits. So once you have all these different game assets built for different titles, other developers can come in and decide, hey, those, you know, those assets are kind of cool. Let me build a DLC on top, uh, um, on top of those assets or a little side mini game to add extra value to these things. I think as you you know as time goes on, more and more gets built, more and more gets compounded, interconnected, um, and it's just a it's you'll you'll end up sneaking up on the um, on the gaming industry when you know they've just got a single title out, and you know as a as a game you're stuck within it. Um, you know the the thousands of hours and thousands of dollars that you put into it are stuck. Um, uh, so I think. Um, it's, it's really interesting. And I think, um, you know, blockchain just brings such clear benefits to businesses. You know, the business model is really attractive from a, from a monetization perspective, but it's also really attractive to gamers. Um, you know, the benefits that, you know, playing on chain, um, you know, completely outstrip, um, what traditional gaming is. We definitely have an advantage here over mainstream because of the strategy we're thinking about distribution. You know, there's the old saying of, you know, you can build the best product, but unless you build distribution, you're basically building in a vacuum. And yep. Dom and I, you know, we've built businesses before. I think your, you know, your first business, you think about like, what is the perfect product? I'm going to spend hours and hours crafting this thing. 
and then you realize you it's like harder to distribute it than it is to build the thing. The second business, it, you typically focus on the distribution. You know, this is our third business now. So we've now got a balance of like great products and great distribution. And, you know, our distribution from a game perspective is, is media. You know, we take a transmedia approach to um, everything we do, you know, creating IP with the community in Web3, using that IP in games. So, you know, your character, your creeps IP, you love and you create in Web3, you get into a game context, that becomes even more immersive, your connection, you're playing with it, you're shooting things, you're building um, and crafting with that character. And then we take that to, to, um, to mass market through, through you know, traditional media channels. And what we're ultimately doing here is telling the story that you, you've created on a micro level on a big stage. And you know, the stories and the characters and the worlds that we've, we've built here, we're able to blast that out to hundreds of thousands of millions of people using this media strategy. Now, you know, why is that significant? It's because, you know, if you flip or if you, if you stop looking at it in a kind of horizontal way and you flip it and make it look like a funnel, you start thinking about, okay, what is top of funnel? Well, top of funnel has to be mass market media. It has to be your show on Netflix. It's your TikTok reels. It's the content you see and you consume passively that makes you laugh, that, you know, goes viral, that, is the things that you you consume that you don't necessarily um, intend to consume, but it's it's all over the, the the channels that you're consuming content. And if we can do this well enough with the right partners in enough spaces, naturally you're going to have bleed down into the funnel. You're naturally going to have someone go, oh wow, that's a really cool show. I want to know more. I'm going to click on the website. Oh wow, they do games. I'm going to download the game. Oh wow, this game's fun. I'm going to buy some more assets in the game. And suddenly that asset then converts into coin value, which that person who owns the creeps, who owns the coin, suddenly his value of his coin or her value of the coin goes up. And you know, that's where our competitive angle comes here is that you know, we have an ability to create really powerful IP. We have an ability to drive real fandom with that in, in games. And then we have the partner network to be able to blast that out into to mass market mainstream media. And if, you know, I, I grew up, playing Pokemon, I came across Pokemon through the cart, the, the trading cards. Yep. You know, my little sister came across Pokemon through the animated series. You know, my brother came across Pokemon through the Game Boy games. You know, we all have different ways of consuming the same brand. And that's a byproduct of what media we consume or where we are or who we are. And if we can hit enough high value distribution points with media, fashion, or products, we have a really like incredible opportunity to bring incredible amounts of value down the funnel to the core ecosystem. So, you know, there's no point building a great game unless you're going to figure out how to get that content in front of as many people as possible. Because once you fall in love with the content, you love the characters, you build trust with that brand, you want to consume, consume, consume. And our goal here is you know, you're sat on your TV, on your, on your, uh, you're not sat on your TV, you're sat in front of your TV. <laughs> um, watching the TV show of Overlord of Creeps, wearing your Creeps t-shirt, eating a chocolate bar with Creeps branded, um, you know, chocolate and goo inside of it. And then you go and switch on your PlayStation, you play your game. And there's a world in which this makes sense and this happens because Pokemon did it. And Pokemon are the biggest uh, entertainment brand in the world. And that's the blueprint we're going for. So if you see, you know, yes, we're, we're a lot behind mass market games because we're just getting started but you know we have an ability to build better ip than them faster 
and we have an ability to get that in front of more people than they can through the media that we're building. I think you touched on a, on a lot of great points there. And a few questions popped into my mind. But um, one of them is when we look at Pokemon, we look at Yu-Gi-Oh! It's easy for a lot of the newer Web3 media companies like you guys and a few other in the space to say, this is what we want to be. But in a current space and time, who do you guys think you're truly competing with now? Who do you actually go ahead and measure yourself against if there is any? It, it's a hard one. Um, on the one hand, you have the Web3 brands that are all in that horse race that we were talking about earlier on. Um, but yep. in true reality, you know, you're competing against shows on Netflix or games on PlayStation. You know, this is all about attention and fandom yeah. and fans only have a certain amount of fan battery that they can give to, you know, the, the couple of brands they totally love and engulf themselves with head to toe. Um, so it's more of a transition over time. You know, I think at the moment it's competing as web three brands. Um, but you know, the, the, like I said, the true reality is that we move very quickly into competing against the biggest brands out there. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Netflix, I think Reed Hastings said his biggest competitor or the biggest risk to Netflix wasn't other TV streaming services. It was gaming mm. and. You know, you see that reflected in the share price <laughs> and, then, and then move into gaming. You know, they recognize that people are spending their time in immersive context that, you know, where identity is, is at the forefront of the experience and where passive or active experiences um, start to trump passive experiences in terms of like connection building and, and you know, creating online um, community. You know, that's the that's our biggest competitor. It's. You know, it's it's the shows on Netflix, but it's also the other interactive content experiences, which are investing heavily in attention economy. Now, you know, we're making a very good track to get there. Um, so Web3 definitely is a, you know, we, we, we're on an index altogether, right? You know, and everyone, there's a, you know, single pot of liquidity in the ecosystem and everyone's kind of flowing in and out. And you've got to be aware of the market you trade in, but really like the five-year um, roadmap means that we have to think about who are our broader competitors, and, and it's definitely the it's definitely the players who think about macro attention, not just the industry attention. Does it bother you guys that you feel like you're so small competing with those people, and it's so far off, or you're just like it's just part of the process? I just gotta wait it out and see what happens. Oh, we we, kind of, we secretly love it. You know, who who doesn't love you know backing the the small startup that moves very quickly. And, you know, that's what we've noticed working with big partners um, or, you know, the management companies, they're really yeah. getting behind us, you know, not only because we're small, we're moving fast and it's exciting. Um, you know, when you're dealing with a brand like Marvel, for example, there are thousands upon thousands of people involved in building that brand. Um, and so yeah. as a partner coming in, you know, you feel like a real small fish in a massive ocean. Whereas when a, you know, a partner comes in and works with us, you know, they're a really meaningful part of its future and they can, um, you know, they can really craft it and, and fall in love with it and get passionate about the things that they're creating. Um, and, you know, I, the second thing is, you know, being this small and dealing with new on-chain mechanics, being able to move fast and being nimble is a massive competitive advantage. A big company that's going to yeah. integrate on-chain stuff into certain games or into certain shows, you, you know, they're going to move so slow that they're, they're going to miss miss the um miss the opportunity in time you know take gaming for example 
with every platform shift within gaming, you tend to have new mega brands that are born that you know generate billions of dollars of value and dominate that platform versus legacy brands coming over. And you see that happen from handheld where Pokemon, you know, dominated to, to console, to, play, to PC, to mobile. Um, and blockchain is just another platform shift. Um, so, you know, by being fast, nimble, being the small guys, um, you know, I think we'll have a, we have a great edge into getting there. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you not to cut you off, Joe, there. But um, yeah, like it, it's funny because we are already seeing that, right? Like we're already seeing a lot of Web2 brands come in and try to be Web3 and they fail. So mm. I think the biggest advantage to people like you guys specifically and the Web3 brands is because you got the hard part of the hill covered already, yeah. right? The Web2 aspect and the media aspect, there's already a blueprint to conquer that. It's just a matter of time, people, and money. Right. So as long as you have the the hardest version, which is the community aspect and the Web3 aspect covered and it's taken care of, the rest is easy. And I'm a true believer in that. And that leads me to my next question is I'm not a I'm currently not a holder, but I want to be right. <laughs> so what are some things that you guys can tell me that I can be really bullish on, whether it's short term or near term, that's going to incentivize me to buy more than one? <laughs> The, the, the billion, I mean, the founders are British. <laughs> that is already checked off. I already got that on my list. Um, yeah, it's a great question. It, honestly, um, it's, it's a really interesting one because you have these, like, um, we have these hilarious moments where we're focused so much as a team on building incredible amounts of value and products and really exciting partnerships and across all these verticals. But you don't always share, you don't, you often forget to share that externally. And it's something that we're learning to do better in now is that it's, it's to start to, you know, really build more transparently and bring holders and community closer to the process of what we're building and share in the highs, share in the lows, fundamentally make clear the vision as to where we're going. Because, you know, we, the last thing we want to do here is, you know, look like we're in a, in a position where, you know, we're trying to take on the world and we're unclear on our end goal and strategy. And I think, you know, unless you have that laid out, unless everyone's clear and communicated to, it can often look like that for, for a lot of brands in the space, not, you know, not just us. So it's a really interesting question to ask, which is like, why should you buy into this ecosystem? And I think a lot of it starts with like, what are we actually building and where does your role fit within that? So, you know, in a real nutshell, you know, we are a gaming brand and we're building, you know, an ecosystem of, of, you know, highly immersive blockchain games, you know, media and fashion and products and toys are there to scale that brand. That's their role. Their role is to, you know, to get a Netflix show, to get a fashion brand in major stores, to get a line of products in, in every, you know, major store um, worldwide. That is to grow the value of the IP. You know, why do you care as a, as a you know, a potential buyer here? You should care for two reasons. One is that, you know, we're developing very, very fun, immersive blockchain games. So as a gamer or as someone who sees the value of the growth of the, the gaming industry, you're going to be delivered incredible amounts of fun, enjoyable experiences. And fundamentally, as Don was saying, a load of perks that come with that, whether that's access to, you know, to upcoming, you know, um, game assets or, or experiences. The second piece is... By holding that IP, you become a co-owner in the ecosystem. So, you know, the coin that is soon to be uh, released in terms of the information, um, you will be accruing that coin for 
owning that IP. And that coin is being used in every single vertical um, and fundamentally the point of value accrual. So by owning the IP, by owning the creeps genesis, you become an investor in this ecosystem. You get rewarded for, for ownership. Um, and then you get access to this whole heap of amazing blockchain games and experiences, which are being developed by some of the biggest partners um, in the space. So it's a really, um, it's a really important thing to double down on because you know, we're not trying to be a brand that does everything. Um, and we're not trying to drive indirect value. This is not a membership club. You know, this is a very clear relationship between like one plus one equals three. Like it's, a, we have a very set formula of value accrual back to you. And that's what's, you know, that's what we're really focused on over the next 12 months, which is like, you know, why should you put your hard earned cash into something like this? Well, it's because there's actually incredible amounts of value and the experiences for you to have in return for that. So can I assume that there will be an airdrop and there is more collections coming this year? Oh yeah. You can assume correct. <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> now I'll make another assumption on behalf of anybody watching this. Will this airdrop probably make me a lot richer than I am today too? <laughs> um, you know, I don't know how rich you are today, but um, that looks like a nice mic. So yeah, you know, we need our goal here and the part, the goal of our partners and the goal of our investors and the goal of the, the core team is to generate as much ecosystem value at all times, right? You know, we're, we're thinking hyper ambitious with where, where we're going with this. And, you know, we've been putting incredible amounts of work and investment in, in to make this happen, whether it's, you know, the, the, um, coin design and, and how do we innovate on a coin level or whether it's the ecosystem design and how do we bring the best partners in, you know, you almost need the, you know, if a coin is a marketplace, you know, it's two-sided, you almost need the demand and the supply side supply is where it's used and demand is like, why the hell should I care about where it's used? You know, we've been working incredibly hard behind the scenes to build both sides of that, that marketplace. Um, so when it comes to your question of like, is it going to make me rich? Like, you know, we have a very successful recipe here that we're following and we're cooking like hell behind the scenes and the partners we're bringing in, the investors bring in are very excited about eating that. So yeah, I'd, I'd like to think it'd make you very rich. Um, but I can't say that for legal reasons. Of course, because, no. That's uh, why I'm saying it. So for anybody watching this, <laughs> I am pretty bullish and I think you should be too. <laughs> if you don't have at least four mics by the end of the year, I'm gonna <laughs> we're going to do another episode of this and I'm going to have four and they're all going to have a Creeps logo on them as well. Hey, oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. um, okay, I guess my next question here is, right, we have the Web3 covered aspect, right? And the biggest play here is how do we, or the biggest issue that I see in Web3 is how am I as an adult or even as a kid, right, if I'm a little bit younger, get to actually be a part of what you guys are going to be building but I don't want to invest or I don't even have the means to invest, right? Like looking at the floor price today, it's probably a few thousand dollars to buy one NFT, right? And for a lot of people, that's really hard to understand that, hey, it's a big barrier to entry and it's a big investment, right? Some people get that paid in a month. So what is the idea here behind, okay, if I want to be the next Pokemon, how do I reach as much people as possible for free? And what is going to be the strategy to be able to bring in more people? that would want to buy in at that higher ticket price? Yeah, you know, I think you answered it in the question almost, which is um, do stuff for free. Um, you know, 
when, when, it, when, we're, when we're building our games, for example, you see a lot of Web3 games, the rate limiting the audience that they have. They've minted out 10,000 NFTs. They're building the game for 10,000 NFTs. So mm -hmm. the theoretical maximum number of players is 10,000, right? It's, it's not going to scratch the surface of a, of a game in Web2. Yeah. We've got very strict game design principles. You know, one of them is free to play first or free to play to earn uh, or free to play and earn. Um, so, you know, you allow people to come in by the millions mm -hmm. and play the games. And you, you're working very hard with game streamers and esports teams, you know, giving them up for the big marketing push on these on these game verticals. You have to come in, play the game. Um, importantly, we're building the game so that the blockchain is invisible. You know, our, our idea of this game going mainstream is that a user comes, transacts on the game and on the interface. They don't realize they're, you know, interfacing with the blockchain whatsoever. They're just getting the benefits of it. There's ways in which you can do that. But then they can go and, you know, buy assets within the game and they can trade them. And the same with the, you know, the TV show. Um, the TV show will be free. It might be paywalled with a Netflix subscription, but it is, you know, for all intents and purposes, free. But there's ways in which if you as a fan yeah. really engage and love that show, you can come in and, you know, buy some of the new character mints that come off the back of that show or come and build the, you know, come and buy the, you know, the original OG creeps that have a much more deeper link and value, you know, accrual to the ecosystem. Because so I think that's how we see it. You know, how, you, how do you create the biggest funnel at the top by making free, great, amazing, fun content and then pull them down the funnel. So yep. how, however you know, much money you got or how, you know, however much of a fan you are, you can engage with the brand at different levels. Yeah, that's, a really, that's an important point, which is right now, community and, and access to the community is defined by a very singular entry point. It's like you either have the NFT or you, you're out, right? So it's, it's very tribalist. It's, you know, Dom and I often describe it as being a part of a football team. Like you either have, you're either supporting the team and you're singing the songs and you're turning up to the stadium and you're all linked in arms, you know, winning together, or you hate them. You hate someone else and you're like, get out. You know, this is, this is not my team. I don't support you. And I think that is, I mean, it's already so archaic, like to, to think in such a tribalist way around a piece of IP, you know, I think if you stop to take such a binary view and you think about, you know, it about tiers of relationships to a, to a brand. And as Don was saying here about a funnel, you know, it's totally okay to be a consumer or a fan of a brand on a top level of the funnel, like to watch the show or to, to own a t-shirt to, you know, I have, I have so many different, you know, branded t-shirts from different IP, you know, some of them I have a, you know, a toy of some of them I may, you know, go and like go to the movies and watch that as well or play the games. It doesn't mean I don't like the things that I don't consume everything of. It doesn't mean I don't, I don't call myself a community member or a fan. I think this, the notion that, you know, you're either in or out is the binary construct of, of community here is, is needs to, um, you know, needs to be flipped on its head in order for us to scale as an ecosystem. People need to start to be engaging with communities and brands at all levels of the funnel and that, and that be okay. And I think that shift and certainly how we see it is that, you know, you could have 10 million people who just watched the show and, you know, 1% of that, that, that population or that, that segment come down it all the way down to the bottom of the funnel. Now, like that's success because it means you have a really thriving, healthy ecosystem and it means you can scale to 
be the size of Pokemon and reach the, every corner of the globe um, and reach every you know, type of fan or community member, which has, a, a, you know, I guess in itself, you know, a whole spectrum of, of desires and interests. So you know, the, the definition of community is, is archaic in Web3 right now. We need to flip it. It needs to change. We need to stop thinking so tribalist. And we need to think about our funnel and our community in a way where you can have different layers and that be okay. So um, that's a big shift this space needs to go through and a, a big maturity cycle as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you on that. Is there any challenges that you guys have faced that almost made you quit or be like, you know what, fuck this? Or is there any big challenges that are coming up in your life? Uh, let me end the question right there because I feel like there has been a story. So I would love to hear about that. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's never been anything that's made us want to quit. You know, fundamentally, building an entertainment brand with games and shows and these lizards that say fuck and, you know, they're invading the universe <laughs> is a childhood dream. You know, who wouldn't want to do that? So, you know, there's all the typical normal, bit, you know, troubles that come with um, building a business, but it becomes much easier when, you know, you're building something that's so cool and you've got such an amazing community who are, who are along the ride. Um, you know, any other founder would say this, the, the thing that is a challenge and is always an ongoing challenge is, you know, and a blessing at the same time is the community because, you know, they either love you or they hate you and there's never really anything in the middle. Um, and you know, when, when they're angry and they're upset and, you know, for whatever reason, it's really sad, <laughs> you know, like, you know, you, you love these guys as brothers and sisters, and then they're really, you know, they're upset at you. Um, so those are definitely the challenges. And, and you know, we, we've definitely had our, had our funny moments um, with that. Um, but, you know, it's all about community. And, and they're just like, we've just got a really awesome bunch of people who are our holders. Um, we feel really, really lucky about that. Um, they're super active the whole time. They're creative. They have fun. Um, but yeah, they, they, make, they make it all worth it in the end. Joe, any specific stories you have to share? Look, the the really fun part of what we're doing here is that we're on, we're a public company, and yeah. you know you're born and you're public instantly. There's nothing to hide, which is as someone who's taken com private companies public and has gone through that you know one to two year mental journey of coaching um, CEOs and, and exec teams on what it means to be a public you know, facing entity. You know that's a hard journey for anyone right like it's you, you, it's a, a big emotional and mental shift in terms of how you present yourself and how to respond to that you know that um limelight now in this industry you're a startup you're 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 you know in a lot of sense you're, you're exposed you know the ugly side of the business the good side of the business and you're meant to like grow through the teenage awkward phases and um but you're doing that on a public stage and it's extremely challenging at times when you add something like a market volatility in. and i remember there was you know because like being on st on show is one thing the other thing is like being in a space where the mark the macro market influences you so much and i remember we first minted um actually it was a bit a little bit after mint it's probably three or four months after mint and the market started to take a little wobble and you know we we were born in a in a bull market and it was you know it was it was great fun it was wild it was a static you know um the energy was palpable the you know it was up only everywhere right and the market suddenly had a little bit wobble and there were like two or three days where 
you know, Dom and I would come into the office and we'd just lie on the floor. <laughs> we, would, we would lie on the floor and we'd look at each other. And we'd like, it just feels sort of safer down here. And there was a kind of, you know, we were, we were doing this like bizarrely in response to like um, the, the community's reaction who was almost kind of, there was a little wobble in there as well. And there was, it was just the first moment for us as like public facing, you know, CEOs of a public listed company in a market, which was going up or down where our natural reaction was like, let's just lie here and everything will be fine <laughs> if we don't move. <laughs> and um, obviously you realize that lying on the floor does nothing to, to solve this and you've got to get back up and, and start, start sailing the ship. But um, there was, you know, it's just a very interesting moment for anyone who's gone through this journey, who've, you know, who's, I guess, a, a founder or a leader of a, a public company in, in some spectrum, you'll, you'll kind of recognize the, the, the macro influences that, that um, happen to your business on such a like micro level. You know, it's not like we're like, oh, you know, a broader recession's coming and it may impact us slowly over six months. This is like, you know, crypto took a big hit today and like suddenly everything's down and everyone's on fire and, you know, the world's about to explode and, and suddenly the market, you know, is is fluctuating on that so i think you know that there's just a, there's been funny growth moments like this nothing to the point where we're like we're, we're out because i think we're such so, such like sados at our core that we kind of love the pain and we kind of want more of it at all times like we love the fact that stuff feels on fire because it gives you the like energy and excitement to like continue and continue to like try and control it and build within it but yeah there's definitely a hilarious reactions like that which um a fun to look back on <laughs> yeah hiding the hiding on the floor definitely answers any problems <laughs> you guys have <laughs> word of advice here Go ahead. <laughs> uh, this is probably a question i should have asked earlier but you know both of you guys seem very similar but also very different what type of role does each of you guys play on a day-to-day -day? and like how has that role kind of been divided into another 30 people that is a good question we the, um, it's probably a function of being best friends for 12 years. Um, you become very similar. The, the way I like to describe it is I always think human beings are like a million different levels and, you know, we're very lucky on exactly the same level, mm -hmm. but on the complete opposite end of it. Um, and so, um, you know, whether it's, you know, strategic thought or thinking or energies or approaches, you know, we always have the same end, the conclusion, we just come out at different angles. When you come out at different angles, you have, you know, you have a better filtration process for risks, assumptions, you know, new ideas, creative moments. Um, and so, you know, the, the community have like made it a joke, you know, Domino's, like Domino's pizza, you know, there's like double act. And, you know, I think, you know, we, we recognized very early on how important that double act is. And, you know, we, we sometimes talk about it over, over a bottle of wine, how important it is to keep that Domino's double act going and going forward, because it really is yin and yang. You know, we, we level each other out and we, we help each other's, you know, weaknesses and, and compound each other's, you know, strengths. Um, and it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a real, it's a real like true partnership. And it's, you know, Joe said, I only feels lucky to have it. And so do I, you know, for the past decade or so, you see like Paul Graham or Y Combinator or like big VCs talk about, oh, we'll never fund, you know, founders who don't have a history or single founders. 
And uh, having been, you know, been a solo founder in the past, I was like, well, fuck that. You've got no idea what you're talking about. You know, there's tons of solo founders doing it. And now having been through this working relationship, I can't understand how anyone has ever built a company not, you know, having that, you know, yin and yang relationship with their co-founder. Um, but yeah. I think the, what we've probably done as well, really well is like through being able to come at problems from different areas, we've been able to identify each other's weaknesses very quickly. And, um, you know, that, that helps in solving like problems because we identify bias and we identify, you know, maybe where we're falling short individually, but the more important thing is like, let's flip that back onto the company and let's figure out like what we're both not good at and let's go higher for that. And that's allowed us to build a really, really strategically smart team around us based on what we truly know is true. What we truly know is true. What we truly know is, is missing probably um, in the org, you know, whether that's across like growth or strategy or content or communications or, you know, engineering, you know, we, we have a lot of like um, unfiltered um, data as to what the company needs in order for, for us to, to succeed and win based on the fact we can speak so honestly and know each other so well um, that we know where we're, we're kind of blind. So you know, the company now is 35, you know, growing, we're hiring quite a lot. It's split between, you know, game development, game design, product engineering, um, content. We have a full content studio and, and creator studio and, and growth as well. And we're very lucky because we've, we've managed to find a team of hyper-passionate, very, very smart, um, intellectually curious um, semi-degens who, <laughs> um, you know, half the time they're, they're, you know, working insanely hard in the office. The other time they're, they're minting things in the middle of the night and flipping that for, <laughs> um, for some ETH. And it's a lot of fun. Like everyone genuinely cares about building the future of, of Web3 and the internet. And it's, it's actually a really interesting point to be building because, you know, if you look at like where we are in the adoption curve, you know, we're still in the like innovator section. Like we're probably not yeah. the only adopter piece. And like, what kind of people does that bring? It brings people who have a very high risk tolerance, who are not afraid to lose, who are wanting to craft and write the future and like fundamentally are adventurers. And if you go into any project's office and hang out with the team, you'll just realize why adventure is the perfect definition. Um, you know, our team are completely wild, so full of life, so charismatic and, and focused on, you know, um, living life to the best, whether they're surfing or climbing or, you know, whatever that does, you know, to, to kind of really grow themselves a human. But on the other side, so focused and dedicated to building what we're trying to do here together. And, and I think we're so lucky to be able to build in an environment where that is the de facto state, that adventure, that sense of, of creation and, and growth. Um, so the team is, yeah, the team is awesome. And we're, we're split across six different countries now. So uh, yeah, rapidly expanding over a year. I love that. Um, I want to end this with a bang in a sense, right? And there's two ways we could do this. Um, after speaking to you guys for an hour, by the way, I already want to extend another invite <laughs> for the next episode whenever that happens. So just keep that in mind. Um, and then I guess the, my, my two ideas here is one, you guys mentioned you were raising, right, already. So I don't know if that's something you guys can share maybe at evaluation, any dark secrets there that we can touch on. <laughs> two is I know the interdimensionals drop is probably coming up as well. So maybe any details that we can release here 
uh, going into that, knowing it's already mid-February and we're coming into March here. So what can we expect? Yeah, which way to go down? Um, <laughs> Both, preferably. Yeah, fundraising is really important to what we're doing. Um, and, and, you know, the question you asked earlier on was, you know, why should we, why should I pick up multiple creeps versus other projects? And I had the, I had an answer in my mind, which I thought was just too blunt at the time, but you know, whatever, let's go for it. You know, building out these companies in the entertainment verticals requires a lot of money. It's extremely capital intensive. And, you know, there's really just a handful, you know, definitely sub 10, if not five brands in the space that a have enough capital from you know revenue already generated or b have the fundraising ability because of that to raise more capital to grow um you know having learned over the year you know i've ended up selling the stuff i really loved and sort of putting that into projects where i thought oh, hang on this is a longer term better bet because they can actually build the stuff they need to build um now you know we've got a lot of capital but we want to build you know build bigger and more ambitious things you know we're you know, arguably building more than, than, than most other brands. So bringing in VC funding, you know, this isn't going to be a small round. It's not like in your low millions, you know, you're talking about your, you know, your multiples of, of, of X millions, um, <laughs> will give us a, a crazy chest to build with. Um, but moreover, you know, we're talking to the, the best funds on the planet. You know, these aren't your like DJ and crypto funds. These are your, you know, famous top tier, you know, Web2 VCs who've now got Web3 funds or new Web3 native funds that have grown out. And so we'll have the smartest minds in Web3 with the best network um, and connection to help us, you know, build with that capital. Um, as far as like funding number and valuation, you know, we'll, we'll keep tight-lipped about that. Um, but, you know, the honest answer is it hasn't actually been, um, hasn't been decided yet. You know, we're, we're working through that now with funds. Um, but... When we come on the show next time, we can give you all those details. Or or I could commit the first check and pick the valuation myself. So. Yeah, all that. A <laughs> billion dollars. <laughs> I will say we do have the biggest funds in the world circling us right now. And let um, me just say this. Like, there's no, there's no um, secret. Like, there's been a lot of money made in this space for the last 12 months. And... You know, these VCs are looking at these, these projects, you know, from NFTs and half of them go, okay, cute. You guys made a load of money. Like, you know, everyone did. How is that going to replicate and turn into something that's actually investable from a, from a venture perspective? And majority of them will sit there and they're like, oh, you know, we'll just do more mints. It's like, that doesn't solve it. Like that dilutes the fuck out of your ecosystem and ultimately doesn't scale. We've managed, you know, through the fact we start as a gameplay brand, through the fact that we've now got some of the biggest gaming partners in in um, the ecosystem building these games, and through the fact that you know we have other alternative revenue streams such as fashion and, and mass market media, you know, for example, like a, a Netflix pays you to produce media for them um, to turn um, this ecosystem and brand into probably one of the most investable ecosystems coming out of this this space. So, you know, it's it's awesome to be able to like have those conversations and to totally be, you, you know, it's like we're the contrarian, right? We're the guys who are like, okay, cool. We made a load of money here, but that's not how we're going to make money. Like that doesn't scale. NFTs don't create a billion dollar business. What creates a billion dollar business is the IP used in these contexts. And this is how we're going to do it. So yeah, it's, it's pretty fucking cool because 
we get to say that and people are seeing the vision and the biggest venture capitalist firms in the world are coming round to, you know, what makes a good and bad brand out of this space. It's no longer FOMO driven. It's about like fundamental value. And, you know, I think we have that um, in, in bucket loads. So yeah, it's going to be a big raise and it's going to be very exciting to, to get that announced and kick off everything else. I love it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, this was a great fucking conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, honored to have you guys on the episode here and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to see what you guys do. I am personally very bullish. You will definitely anticipate me to come into the uh, project and uh, yeah, make sure you guys check out Joe, Dom, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Amazing. And, and thanks for having us. Um, this is this definitely a really fun conversation. Um, would love to come back and, and, and talk about, you know, things having been developed um, in, in a couple months time. Um, thanks for having us.